Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Natureversity Podcast. Today, I am joined with Melinda Chow from the Austin Youth River Watch, located here in Austin, Texas. And Melinda, how you doing today? I'm doing all right. How are you, Chris? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, obviously, this podcast is dedicated towards getting uh, those who are really making meaningful impacts out in the world of environmental education and leadership skills and all that. And I couldn't think of anybody else to give a call to when it comes to river stuff other than the Austin Youth River Watch. So I hope you're excited to talk about rivers. Yeah, always <laughs> excited to talk about Austin Youth River Watch. Thank you so much for, for thinking of us. Um, yeah. Well, so tell us who you are. How did you get to where you're sitting now? What was your background like growing up, and where did you grow up? Uh, yeah, so um, I'm uh, the co-executive director of Austin Youth River Watch, uh, and so, you know, um, my, my fellow nonprofit EDs out there just know that uh, the, the EDs are the ones that handle all the other stuff in the background, the important uh, but less visible work that is not uh, directly programming uh, that makes all the things run. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel you miss it? Did you used to be an educator and now as a, the executive director, you're a little... I, I do miss it sometimes. And so it's really important to me to, um, you know, not just um, from like reading things uh, to know what I'm impacting, but to actually experience what I'm impacting. And so as much as possible, um, I, I try to be in programming. Um, our The program team is like, you know, I am so lucky, really, to have such awesome people working for Riverwatch. And everything runs, you know, without me doing anything and I, I when I'm in programming I really I'm sort of like just another student and that I like help with little pieces every once in a while but it's important to me to know like when I'm doing spreadsheets or writing a grant or doing all of the other things uh, that EDs do um, in the background uh, that I like you know um, fully know what I'm impacting not just sort of mentally but like full body, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, all of the things. Um, and I love interacting with our students. That's, yeah, one of my favorite things. What ages are you working with over there? Uh, we're working with um, primarily uh, high schoolers. Uh, and so, you know, basically um, the youngest kids we work with would be in our summer programs. Um, so rising ninth graders, so like the summer between eighth and ninth grade. And then the oldest high school students we work with would be the summer after the senior year. We also have another program for young adults uh, that's really more like our internship program, but it's also, you know, a very um, educationally oriented internship program. And so that program works with basically ages 18 to about 22, 24, something like that. That's a newer program. And so, yeah, it's, there's still some things we're sort of figuring out there. Um, although, you know, we've done it a, a two or three years now. And so some things are pretty established, but in any case, way newer than uh, our, our high school programs. Yeah. And does it always involve river? Like, um, can you give me some more specifics like river cleanups? Um, river, is it like hydrogeological studies? Is it in what capacity are these learners coming out and experiencing this type of um, river watch with you <laughs> yeah so i mean it it's it's really very broadly um so our, our mission statement is to transform and inspire youth 
through environmental education, community engagement, and adventure. So very broadly, it is about um, engaging kids with the environment um, and the community and having adventures, you know, outdoors. I, I think that that's, that's a big part of not just the education, but again, that, that sort of like full-bodied experience piece that um, allows you to immerse yourself and, and really understand what you're impacting. Uh, I think I lost track of your question in talking about no, you're the okay. mission. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's not just about rivers. That's what you were asking. Right. Yeah. And in what capacity are the kids learning? Meaning, are they doing cleanups? And in doing the cleanup, are you talking about how humans are making an impact on the river through waste or perhaps um, biological contaminants that could be in the water? Like we've done a lot of river cleanups with Buzz Mill and Lumber Society and Natureversity and a bunch of places. And I'm always just trying to bring awareness to like, now it's, I think, just so easy for us to toss things, but to mm. see actually where they end up, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And we, you now side funny story here, we just, we, we found a lot of Barbies. And I just think it's funny that Barbie movie oh. just came out. But we found so, we actually called it Barbie Island after the That's really amount of Barbies where that we, we found all? along the Colorado River. Uh, well, like, oh, like uh, just a little west of the 183 bridge. Okay. Um, we call wow. it, yeah, we call it Creekside area. So Roy Guerrero Park as you head yeah, towards yeah. that 183 uh, area uh-huh. on along that trail. If you uh-huh. cut off there to the left, it's got a little offshoot of the Colorado where it meets back right underneath the bridge. And that little island was just, it was covered in Barbie heads and That's different things. It was funny. We just thought it was. It's st- kind of a timely reference right now. You, you, uh, right, exactly. That's, uh, you'd think you'd find one, maybe, but uh-huh. we found dozens. Like wow. a lot, it was like a whole collection of like a bag, but we had a lot of fun setting them up and doing goofy things. But we talked about the plastics and different things that were happening as far as like we found um, paint canisters, but the way the paint had dried and just different things. So I'm curious if your students, sorry, long winded way to get back to this no, question. No, it's fine. Like I think I went We're, off on my own tangent. No, so. that's, that's what this podcast is all about. Y'all, the listeners know that for sure. Tangent. Uh, we're getting back to it, but what, are you conveying as far as a message of, you know, this is what's happening out here when we come and do these adventures? Yeah. So I think what I was trying to say is that, that it's broadly environmental education. So what I mean that when I say it's like not just about rivers, there's still a focus on waterways and watersheds in what we do. Um, the environment is a very broad thing in itself, right? You can't really isolate uh, one one thing or one topic. Um, and it's also not, uh, removed from, um, people, behavior, the arts. I mean, science is not uh, a thing that is isolated by itself. So anything we talk about is still about the water, um, in a sense, you know, and, and about the environment. And so, um, the content is about rivers and waterways and the impact on, uh, waterways, but, I mean, how you do talk I... about fish and like turtles and yeah. other things. So you're you're yeah you're diving in beyond just what it is because I think what just clarify it here with me and, and correct me if I'm wrong. But the perception that maybe a lot of people have of Austin Youth River Watch is, is it sounds kind of like a cleanup crew. Like yeah. it sounds like a bunch of people getting together and we're watching the river That's to maintain. One of the, yeah, most common questions we get, and so that makes perfect sense. And so we do. Uh, do creek cleanups and river cleanups for sure. Like that is part of uh, the environmental restoration pieces that we do. Um, 
I think what we've been most known for, though, like throughout our history uh, since the 90s is the water quality piece that we do. So um, what do our students, the River Watchers, get to do uh, when they go out with us, you know, after school or in the summer program? Um, One of the things they get to do is that they learn about water quality by testing water quality. Um, That is cool. Can you teach me how to do that? I want to just test water quality everywhere Better than me teaching you how to do that. I think the River Watchers can teach you how to do that. Yes. Tell them to come out and, uh, yeah, we'll set something up. Yes. Yeah. But keep going because this is great. Yeah. Yeah. So um, for a really long time, uh, we've been partnering with both the city of Austin and the Lower Colorado River Authority, um, who uh, provides us with uh, in-kind supplies and um, all the chemicals and enzymes uh, you would use to uh, test the water quality of various spots along the Colorado River and uh, the various creeks and streams in the Austin area that flow into the Colorado River. So that's what we're most known for is um, collecting water quality data, citizen science with uh, our youth, with with our river watchers. And so they learn about how to test for um, characteristics such as uh, the level of dissolved oxygen in the water, the level of nitrates, the, the, the pH, um, the specific inductance, which is like really just a fancy way of saying uh, how much electricity is in this water, because if there's a whole lot of electricity, that could mean that there's some heavy metals or other pollutants going on in there. Um, and so there's a whole list of stuff that's on our data sheet uh, for the water quality testing that we do. Oh, E. coli levels too also. And so um, it's sort of a snapshot in time at a certain place of like, what is the water quality right here where we're testing, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. What, so let's, uh, for listeners and myself too, um, let's give some uh, grades to some things, shall we? <laughs> what would be an A, and you don't have to do Texas. This can be like up in Alaska or like Canada. What would be an A quality water, like an A grade? Or does it, how does the grading system work? Let's, let's first ask Yeah, that. I mean, I think it's a little bit more complicated and a little bit more, more nuanced than that. Um, so our, Barton Springs isn't an A plus. Barton Springs is like probably one of the cleanest things around. Yeah. You know, like what about, what about Barking Springs? Barking Springs. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, like some of that I'm is just a messing little. Around. <laughs> yeah. You know, you got you got some poop there. You right. got a lot of activity. There's like cans of stuff. You know, so so yeah. here so here's my question. There's a, a ban on swimming. In Ladybird Lake, mm-hmm. correct, and mm-hmm. they proclaim that it's because of bacteria levels. Now, if the Longhorn Dam just sits there, and then the Colorado flows down from that, I'm curious why is the swimming in the Colorado right down from Ladybird permitted, but so, it's not in Longhorn. I'm sorry if these are questions no, no, that you're like, totally what the heck, fine. man? It's totally fine. No, no, no. <laughs> it's just that I I think a better person to answer that question for you would be somebody from city of Austin watershed protection. Sure. Sure. Um, But you don't think it's harmful, right? I, I, so there are other reasons um, that it's not safe to swim in Ladybird Lake and it's not really the water quality, like dissolved oxygen levels and um, all of that stuff. It's, it's other stuff that's there. So like but, other chemicals, like um, the the history of Ladybird Lake is a 
long and complicated one with it's Austin. getting even more complicated so, with what's going on over there lately yeah and i mean and i i, I don't think that i could fully be able no, to really answer your question sure, very sure. well with that um, i would i would assume that it's because of the way the flow is down from longhorn dam right because the flow in the movement i think is it's much it's much faster than what is it fcs i believe it is a uh, cubic or cfs cubic feet per second mm-hmm. um it's faster and therefore i think because of the movement i don't think it can potentially keep bacteria whereas that lake is just it's just kind of like a bowl you know i would imagine i'm just totally going on like no, the totally lay fine. person's <laughs> you know understanding of how things work but if there's harmful things and the river's moving i would much rather be you know, in that area than in the area where it just all sits and stagnates. Yeah. It's generally uh, water that has less flow is, is not healthy water to correct to be yeah. in for humans or really any, any other animals. Yeah. Cause you know, I mean, you got all that stuff just sort of sitting there and that allows for bacteria to build up or any other things that you don't, you don't like, you know? Um, I think, I feel like KUT recently did a story about swimming in Ladybird Lake and it was, pretty good from about answering those questions uh, from a layperson's perspective. And it also interviewed, um, I think, Brent Bellinger uh, from City of Austin Watershed Protection. And so um, they're, they're really going to be way more of the experts sure. on that, uh, than, than I would be. Well, sure. and, and my apologies if I was asking, I think because as soon as you said, oh, yeah, we test water, I was like, oh, here we go. I was we, like, this is going to be fun because I'm going to ask a bunch of questions no, about fine. the quality. Overall, uh, Central Texas, uh, City of Austin, for sure, uh, and our area, you know, has really pretty good water quality. We're, I we're would pretty as, I would agree. lucky here to be, you know, an environmental city um, uh, composed mostly of, of people who really care about the environment and are not throwing Barbies in the water <laughs> for, the, for the most part. For the most part, you know, we're, we're, we're people who, who care about those things and, and take care of those things, which then means that our water quality, the health of our watersheds, for the most part, um, relatively healthy. And so uh, when we go out there and, and we test, um, you know, either just visually or, or like with the chemical readings, most of the time we find things within a normal range and that the water quality is good. I mean, every once in a while there's something that's like, oh, I'm not sure about that. You know, and then we go back a second or a third time and we're still like seeing something weird. And it's at those points that we give City of Austin Watershed Protection a call and also LCRA a call. It's like things look kind of, are, 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 you know, are, the river watchers are seeing some some things here that are a little weird, a little you know, off a little questionable. And then at that point in time, they send their people to, you know, look at it a little bit more. Um, and there have definitely been some things there's like, oh, you guys, good, good find there from the river watchers. Uh, we, we were worried about this location where you tested and where you kept finding these readings. And we had some theories about some stuff, but now you've given us some data to be able to move forward with um, on, you know, rethinking how, we um, manage this area. Sure. So, yeah. How often are y'all turning in data like that to them? Is it like a quarterly or perhaps biannually or annually? So we, during the course of a year, go to um, roughly like 20 different places. Whoa. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. All over Central Texas or all over Texas? Mostly Austin. 
cool. uh, and then you know s- sort of broadly outside of Austin, like Travis County. Um, there, you know, like rare times, uh, we'll we'll do something outside of Travis County um, if we happen to be taking a field trip or something like that, and just to kind of go, oh, what is it like over here? But for the most part, it's it's going to be Austin and, and Travis County. Yeah, yeah. is it uh, when? I, I just want to uh, acknowledge that something to the listeners. Uh, she's uh, Melinda has a shirt on right now, and it's got the <laughs> Austin Youth River Watch on there, and it's got all the creeks and lakes and rivers and different things and this map of Central Texas, and it's really cool. Um, yeah. But I was driving by somewhere the other day, and I noticed that uh, I think it was called Boggy Creek. Yeah, and it's not really a creek so much as it looks like a yeah. concrete. Yeah. What like so? Do you think that that's a, a nonsensical idea to just straighten out rivers, um, creeks? I, you know, I, 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 I can give you an answer that I think is not the same answer or may, way less technical than what an environmental engineer would, would talk to you about. Ah, but I like that. I, I, I feel like in general, like what people used to think about the ways to manage waterways and what people think now is vastly different. And mm. I think an environmental engineer would, would tell you that too. Yeah, right? I would agree. Like, I think uh, making a concrete bed for a river, I, you know, I think what, what people used to think, you know, again, completely different. We're, we're smarter now. We, we know more things now. Um, that That's definitely going to affect uh, the flow of the river, uh, the entire habitat, uh, the, the amount of impervious cover, like, so many things, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the wild one to me yeah. is the impervious cover. Yeah. Because as the, I re, were you born in Austin? No, I was not born in Austin. Uh, I, was, yeah, I was raised here in Austin, born in San Antonio, and I've lived here my whole life. <clears throat> and it, I don't remember when I was younger being 10 years old and it being 118 heat index in Austin. And I can't yeah. help but imagine it's because of all the concrete and everything, just ambient temperature around the city and different things. But those waterways being straightened out like that, because obviously we had had our 2015 flood and mm-hmm. in, uh, what was that, May, and then we had another one in October. And I, I believe that all of those areas that they had straightened out those creeks and different things, those were the areas that had the most damage. And so to me, I'm like, yeah, I would imagine that it's not a wise thing to do. But is there any way? And again, I'm so sorry, Melinda, if I'm oh, asking no, questions that are, it's totally that are fine. totally yeah. out of this. I'm just so perplexed by the way we adapt to the environment and what we do to, you know, obviously critique it. But with, with the straightening out of those rivers and seeing that damage it just seems like is there any way to go back like could you just dig up all that concrete in boggy creek and just let it do i don't know yeah that's a good no, no. <laughs> okay okay i'm gonna be really honest about the things sure. i don't know yeah there. that's good I, I think that that's that's also those are questions for like sure watershed and environmental scientists and and, and, and engineers to like figure out but i i think um i mean surely it's been thought about before and there's maybe reasons why they haven't i don't i don't know right I'm, no worries i don't know I, I feel like i'd be venturing in certainly unknown territory if i'm like trying to think about speculating that. Yeah. on what to do for these things well yeah. and i think that's you know again I'm, I'm curious because i don't have all the details of to what ends the, the program goes out and where and so i'm just curious if these are any ever topics that perhaps you'd 
bring up because when we go out and do different things you know the kids ask questions about the dam mm-hmm. you know like they release it sometimes but other times they don't and this mm-hmm. that and the other and i'm always like i, I don't i don't have those questions either but well, you seemed a, yeah the mark of a good educator also is to be honest about oh, things of course. you don't know right yeah like you, yeah i think you want to i mean first of all it's just the truth <laughs> yeah and also you want to model uh, i think for for students um that it is okay to not know things and everybody starts by not knowing things. And it's like, it's from that point that you actually open yourself up to learn things. Uh, but you have to be honest about the not knowing of it first. Right. Know? The, yeah. uh, the Dunning Kruger effect. Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I definitely, I've been there in multiple times in my life. I can tell you. Um, so you said you didn't, you, you didn't grow up in Austin or you did? I did not grow up in Austin. Where did you grow up? I, I've been in Austin since uh, 2006. I was born in Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. I Were was, you out roaming the woods and the swamps? Uh, not not really. So, I mean, Mississippi and, and a large of the South is, a large part of the South is, you know, relatively rural. Um, and, and, and most certainly Mississippi is. Uh, but like, you know, sort of interestingly, I grew up in kind of a downtownish area of uh, the tiny town that I grew up in. So I wasn't really near nature. Um, we were lucky to have a small backyard um, and and uh, my my um, mom and my my grandparents uh, had like garden areas in the backyard. Um, so I, I didn't really grow up near nature. Um when I talk about sort of my story and my inspirations, like, I mean, I definitely really enjoyed like going out to nature. My dad uh, was an avid fisherman and he loved taking uh, the kids and everybody out over to, you know, out uh, beyond the city uh, to go fishing. Um, But I loved nature shows also, you know, and like things uh, back when, when I was a kid, there was, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. I don't. I don't know if that, yeah, is familiar with you at all. Um, and I would read books like you know, My Side of the Mountain, uh, things like that. It's like I was like, you know, I this is what I like. I I like animals. Um, we didn't really have pets, um, and I like nature. I like being outside, and I didn't really have um, an outlet for it other than sort of like limited things like being in my backyard or maybe helping mom or grandma in the garden or, or going fishing with my dad and my brothers uh, and my cousins. And so we would go to places every once in a while, but like the going out to nature was also a challenge that took like um, a part of the day. Uh, my parents both ran their, their own, um, small business together. I grew up in the family business. Um, and so, you know, uh, um, I'm a, I'm a second generation immigrant. Mm. And so my, my parents immigrated over here. Uh, and so, you know, um, it's a whole American dream thing, you know, they, they came to make a better life. Uh, and so while I was young, uh, and we were a young family, you know, um, they worked really hard to, you know, make a better life for their kids. Uh, and so the ability to find the time to sort of go out to nature, um, you had to carve that out. And it was a drive, you know. So growing up in a small town in Mississippi, 
um, I, those things really resonated with me, being outside, having those experiences, um, the adventures that I saw on TV and read about. Um, I, I wanted those things, but they... What you, did you want to do when you were a kid watching all that? I mean, did you have so dreams many of- things. I, I, I was a kid. Like, there was, like, everything I wanted to do. You know, I, I, I wanted to go, like live on the side of a mountain and, and yeah. have animal friends and, you know, <laughs> do, do cool stuff like that. Um, and, and have adventures and, and, and all of that stuff. Um, I also wanted to be a cartoonist. Uh, that was another you wanted thing to draw I cartoons? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. 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 So those were, too. yeah. So those were the, some of the things that I wanted to do when I was a kid. Um, yeah. Um, but they, they weren't really like, they were like, opportunities that I kind of had to find for myself. The first time I ever went camping was actually in college. Like I didn't go camping the whole time growing up um, because that's just not something my, my parents or my family like did, you know, it's not like they weren't experiencing nature or they weren't involved in nature. And I think um, it's healthy for us to think about like, what is a valid nature experience is not necessarily just camping and it's not like, you know, I don't know, like um, there's some buff guy you see in an ad, you know, climbing yeah. a, a, a wall or whatever. You know, it's, it's just, there's many valid <laughs> ways. Carhartt jacket and Yeti water bottle. and <laughs> Right. There's many valid ways to engage with nature in the outdoors. And, and those things still count. Um, and so I think all of those experiences are, are valid. But all that being said, the first time I ever went camping is when I went to college and there was a friend of mine who had been, you know, uh, camping their whole lives. It's like, and they were really surprised to hear that as much as I talk about nature and I was a biology major at the time too, and like how much I love animals and trees and all of these things that I had never been camping before. And they're like, well, that needs to change. And so um, they took me out and they're it's like, well, let's, you know, let's what a tent is like and blah, blah, blah. Do you remember where you went? We were, um, I went to school at Mississippi State University, my undergrad, uh, and we went um, in a, a little place off the Natchez Trace. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What would, What did you think? Oh, it was great. And then, you know, because um, I really wanted to, we also, we decided to sleep, you know, outside of the tent uh, that evening, just on a couple of cots. And so like, you know, like literally under the stars. Yeah. Do you yeah. know there's some statistic? It's like less than 10% of Americans have slept under the stars. Wow. Isn't that I'm shocking? That doesn't, that didn't surprise me either. The whole, there was an old saying too, what is it? Kids can identify hundred corporate logos, but not 10 plants. Yeah. Yeah. That's so sad. I think you and I were, we're in the same mission. We just want kids to be, more aware of their surroundings when they're out there because I think the biggest problem is that the TVs and screens they're so enticing because they're so engaging mm-hmm. and when you go outside the trees don't smack you in the face and they're like hey learn about me right like the animals actually flee from you so it's hard because there's a feeling of well everything I get near just doesn't really have that much interest in me so therefore there's not a, it's not an interactive experience and so I think when you inspire people with stories or taking them out on a canoe and you know sometimes like those 
water wading birds like great blue herons you can see them a little up close if you're you know they mm-hmm. they know how close you are on that middle of that river in a canoe versus where they're at in the shore and the kids are like that bird is like the biggest thing i've ever seen and you can tell now like oh that's the first time they're seeing one of these things for totally. in this in this way yeah. and i think maybe perhaps there's not an interaction there but i later on will that day i'll show them a feather Right. And it's like, oh, hey, check this out. And did you know if you split this feather and attach it to the stick, this is one way that traditional and indigenous communities around the world make arrows. And then they're like, whoa. And I shoot it for them and then they shoot it. And now (laughs) there is this tangible connection to why birds are neat, you Mm -hmm. know? And I ask them, I'm like, well, how does, how does the arrow even fly? Mm -hmm. Well, how does the bird fly? And we just go down this spiral whirlwind together about Nature's really engaging, but you've got to take it on your own volition to go out and interact with it. So I, I also think that like, you know, uh, any, any, um, I think definitely young people and even adults, the, the most bah humbug adult about nature is still, <laughs> you know, secretly uh, at least a little bit curious about any animal that they see, uh, whether it be, um, sort of across the table like you are from me or they're like a few yards away. It's like if they see it, it's like, I mean, I, I just think it would be difficult for not there to be like at least a little bit of curiosity about it. So I think like the first time uh, a young person, whether we take them out or they, they go out in any way and they see like a critter and sort of slow down a little bit and observe that critter, there's like, there's, you know, there's some curiosity about that. Yeah. yeah. Even when we find them, unfortunately deceased the kids still Mm want to mess with it you Mm -hmm. know that's like whoa Mm -hmm. that's a raccoon i don't when do i get to look at a raccoon this close up you know up up this close and so i i don't know but i also just want kids to be inspired by people who they may look up to Mm because i think again a lot of the like role models in our age are like, oh, I want to be a TikTok influencer. I want to be a YouTuber. I want to be this. Mm-hmm. And I think having folks like you and I out there and in, in our educators and, and these wonderful facilitators of learning experiences for kids, if they're just holding themselves in such a way where they just exude this passion and almost, I dare I call it, nerdiness for mm-hmm. something. Yeah, totally. I think the, the kids feel safe to say, I, I can be a nerd about birds with you and rivers with you and, mm-hmm. and that's okay and no one's, because I was ashamed when I was like, you know, growing up, I told you like by, by seven years old, I like had all this kind of little nature knowledge and, you know, when I would go to the school and I'd be like, oh, check out that hawk, kids would be like, the hell? You know, like, what is, what is this kid doing? So I thought I was the weird kid and so you abandon that stuff that kind of you love once because nobody else values it. And, yeah, uh, I think that happens, you know, especially sort of in teenagerdom. Oh, yeah, um, that's big. Yeah. That's what we're dealing with at the school right now. Yeah, I, I, th- I mean, I think that's, uh, we, I, we are, I think, rare amongst environmental education programs, too, that um, have chosen to work with teenagers. There's a whole lot more out there for, like, the little kids. Yeah, you know, a lot. Yeah, there's like plenty out there for not not that that's not valuable. I'm not saying we should have less things for Lucas. That's no, no, no. I, <laughs> I don't think anyone's that. heard that. Like, yeah, <laughs> let's not you know make it a culture of scarcity ever. Sure, um, but there is less stuff available out there for teens and especially underserved teens. Yeah. You know, so, um, and and that's one of the niches that we're you know looking to to help fill. Yeah. So you went to school for biology, but what was your intention before enrolling in a biology program? What did you want I mean, to do? I mean, I loved animals and science. Do you so want to be a vet? Or a- 
I wasn't totally sure what I, I wanted to do, um, you know, except that I, I knew that I liked science and animals. Yeah. Um, and so biology made made sense. Uh, but I also like I think I was the type of nerd that really liked everything. Like I loved also the arts and the humanities, like thinking about culture um, and making things, um, you know, like. All of the things, you know, uh, and, but I had to pick a major. Yeah. Uh, and so I ended up like going into biology and uh, now, um, towards, uh, the end of my undergraduate career, um, uh, there was a social science elective that my advisor at the time recommended that I take and it was anthropology and I'd never really heard of it before. Like everybody's heard of sociology, but like what the heck is anthropology? So it's like, okay, I'll try that out. Like what's that? What is that? And then when I took that course, it's like, oh, this is kind of like everything I like in in one topic. It's like yeah. there's science in here, there's art in here, there's culture, there's thinking about people and the world and, and behavior and how does it all come together. And I was like, this is really cool. Um, and at that point in time at Mississippi State, I was almost – done with my biology degree and it was really just a few more hours for me to get a second degree in anthropology too because they were both housed in the same college uh, so some of them would transfer to both degrees so I would just went ahead and, and got both um, and when I was thinking about grad school um, after that I was like well really gotten a whole lot out of anthropology and and interestingly I learned a whole lot more about evolution in my anthropology classes than I did in my biology classes but I think it's because you know there's also a focus on human evolution and primates and stuff like that um, and I really liked like thinking about human behavior and human perspectives um, you know how does that color our science too you know yeah um, <clears throat> so anyway, um, so come time to like uh, figure out what to do for graduate school, I decided to continue on into anthropology. Um, and so um, there um, at the University of Memphis, um, I both uh, uh, specialized in medical anthropology, which is, you know, definitely an outgrowth of the biology stuff, but also urban anthropology, which is more about really communities. Um, so and that was like super, super cool. Um, I, I love that program so much. Um, in Memphis and the um, applied anthropology program at the University of Memphis is extremely community oriented, very much engaged with uh, the city of Memphis um, and uh, really uh, encouraged uh, the students there to also be engaged with the city and and learn about the communities, you know, by like being out there. And so there was a lot of projects and internships and whatnot um, that we got involved in, like doing things with the city. And it's like, oh, you know, using my knowledge, not just for academia's sake and just research sake, but like actually like um, to work with communities and to um, help, help, you know, uh, um, bring about community outcomes for the betterment of all like in short form using your powers for good yeah it's not just like i mean there's nothing wrong with uh research and nerdery nothing wrong at all 
but like, does it just live um, in books? Like with you and your nerd pals, nothing wrong with that community. Great. But like, how do we use it? How does it make a difference? Yeah. You know? And so I was really through that program inspired by, by that. Um, and so sort of just getting into my, my pathway here. Yeah. Keep going. You're doing great. Okay, cool. Cause, cause after you trans now, and I just want to point a clarity here. When I read that, um, applied anthropology, the only thing I could think of was like, um, I, it, it brought up an idea that you just sit around and practice the way people used to live. It right, sounds yeah, like I you think, did primitive skills or survival skills well, or something, right? I but think I think we, that would be applied archaeology, yes, maybe? Yes, so I was just going to get there. Yeah, yeah. Anthropology is like, it's very broad. And I think the part that is most recognized about anthropology is archaeology. And so like the way people lived in the past and studying the past. But anthropology, most of it is, oh, so sorry. I just made the thing go. Oh, no, you're fine. Um, it's much more close to what people think of as sociology now. Um, there's like slightly different methods and those two, I, I, I feel like they might as well just merge together. Sure. Um, but yeah. like. But um, anthropology is the study of cultures. Yeah. Like in a broad, broadly, yeah. broadly, yeah. If, if you had to try to like pin it down to one thing, the, the running theme through all parts of anthropology uh, is culture. Yeah. And so was there any particular culture that you picked to study for the masters? All of them. All of them. <laughs> well, what which one did you so, really want to know more so about? So urban anthropology is about uh, the culture of cities and ah. the communities in the cities. Yeah. And See, now that's a fascinating subject. Cities perplex me. I think cities are amazing, really. Um and whereas growing up in Mississippi, I went to Memphis a lot. Um, cause Memphis was like the big city, um, from, from where I grew up like two hours away. Um, the, when I was in the, um, urban anthropology program, getting my master's, I got to know Memphis in this completely different way, more parts of Memphis for sure, but also just in a, in a different light. Um, and it was just really cool to be able to, to think about, uh, things in that way. Yeah. And so once you got out. What was one of the first jobs that you had? I'm I'm looking here, and so one of the a couple of things I read here it says uh, "hot science, cool talks." Oh, um, that's like way far there. So, like, if I was speeding up the thing, like, essentially, anthropology applied anthropology program got me interested in working for nonprofits and um, public agencies uh, and 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 you know, uh, sort of city based things. Uh, and so I worked for the National Civic League after that. Um, so about cities, communities. Yeah. Um, and then I also worked for uh, the National Multicultural Institute um, after that. Uh, came back to Memphis, worked for a really cool community-based organization focused on community organizing uh, with neighborhood residents called South Memphis Alliance. Um, so did that for a while. And then, um, after that, um, we moved to Austin. Uh, and then when I got to Austin, I worked with the uh, KUT radio for a little while. Uh, hot science, cool talks was my first sort of entry back into science in a way. Um, but going into it, uh, with so much of this sort of community background, a background in community outreach experience with community outreach, um, and so that position, uh, managing hot science, cool talks was about science outreach. 
So like the science stuff, it's like I already, you know, kind of like have done that. And then this was about science communication, science outreach. And so that was about putting together um, events six times a year, which would folk each would focus on uh, a particular um, expert's topic. It could be about drones. It could be about monkeys in the Amazon. It could be about robots. Uh, and and the main lecturer um, might be a person at University of Texas, uh, which is where I was working at the time, or it might be someone from someone else. And then so that person would give a talk, and my job was to work with that person um, to make sure that their presentation was, you know, um, at a sort of regular person's. Ah, <laughs> sure. To help translate things, because a lot of times um, scientists and, and academics are really only used to talking to each other. Right. Yeah. Hello, let me explain this geofluvial morphology to you. Right, right, what is right. that? They use like <laughs> fancy words yeah. that are like really cool to each other. Uh, and they're used to like using like graphs that look really cool to each other. But like, how do, how do we think about regular people, right? And so like one of my jobs is to work with them to put together slides and, you know, some language that might like make their um, uh, lecture like, you know, uh, accessible. Yeah, more e- digestible. More digestible. Yeah, easily to understand. Yeah. I totally get that. And those events were two-parters. So there was a talk, but there was also the community science fair that was associated with the theme of each thing. And so, like, if it was about robots or, like, fish or whatever it is, there would be, like, all of these community organizations uh, before the talk really just kind of, like, showing off some of the things they do also having to do with the theme. So... Yeah. That's cool. That yeah. I, I love exhibitions like that. Like they have one here in Austin. It's like Austin Mini Maker Fair. Do you ever mm-hmm. heard of that one? Yeah. And it's like all these creative kids who just make things. And I, Natureversity actually got a chance to do the intro to that one time. And we talked about prehistoric technology. And wow. Then, and so we kicked it off with like stone tools and atlatls and all these weird things that we used to hunt and track animals with. And um yeah, and then they ended it with like, all right, we're going to space. That's, that's <laughs> I was like, super cool. It all started with a stick. That's where yeah. it all goes back to. Yeah, a stick. it's like, that's uh, it. what's that movie that's popping in my head now, 2001? You know, it starts off that, that first scene. There's like, there's like the chimpanzees. Doom, 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 doom. Oh. <laughs> da, da. I'm trying to and think. There's like a big like thing. That oh, S- Space Odyssey? Space Odyssey. Yeah. I was, I was like, I couldn't think about <laughs> what it was called. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was like, I know it's right on the tip of my tongue. Um, so eventually you, these, I just kind of kind of name off a few more of these cool programs that you've helped facilitate here. So hot science, cool talks, uh, girls rock Austin, um, Austin outside earth share of Texas. And eventually through all of those, you found yourself at the Austin youth river watch. So before you became the co-executive director, what, what was its inception in the, like what, what year did it start? Yeah. So like, Pathway is a little bit curlier than that. Sorry, yeah, no, we're all no over the place deal. today, folks. No big but deal. No I'm big having deal. fun. I don't. I don't care. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> just my my yeah. chatting with somebody, getting to know them. Yeah. So, like, um, as far as jobs goes, hot science school talks. Like, Girls Rock Austin. I've I had been involved uh, with uh, since 2008, 
Um, and so that is about music. Oh, um, see, I thought it was about rocks nah, in the river. It's, it's fine. Look no, at me, yeah. Melinda. No, it's no big deal. Like, um, you know, I, I also love, you know, art. Um, and so that was about music and um, empowering girls and trans and non-binary kids uh, through music because music and uh, particularly rock and roll culture is, you don't, you don't see that. It's, it, it's certainly not you know, in the past, uh, and, and still less so today. Um, and so that was using music as an empowerment and educational vehicle, you know, very um, good to like show girls, trans and non-binary youth. Hey, you can do this, you know? Um, yeah. It's, it, it fascinates me how many avenues you've taken with this applied anthropology <laughs> studies, because it seems like it does work well. Um, as far as going out and understanding, like, okay, I'm here. And then through the anthropology, you're like, okay, these are the quick cues. I'll pick up on it. Like, all right. Like, is there anything I can do to help? Or is there, you know, people out there who are requesting it as far as me helping? Like, it, it's well, it's beautiful. I, I, thank you so much, Chris. I, I think that's it's really sweet of you to say. But I think, like, one of the things um, I, I think we, we have in common is that what we've done is it's like, this looks really cool and interesting, you know, I'm curious about it and I want to explore more and I want to get involved. And then we just go do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so that's, yeah. So how do we inspire everyone in the world to just do that? Really, <laughs> Is that really what we're know. doing? That's what we're, I mean, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I, that's what I want. Cause when I say to the kids at natureversity, I always tell them like, I just want you to be passionate about something. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care what it is. Um, but find that passion. And that's why I think old school organizations, Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts, they were so wonderful in the sense that they gave the kids a taste of something, mm-hmm. right? Basketry, first aid, archery, mm-hmm. you know, uh, tracking animals, whatever it was. And the kids would be like, I really like doing this. I want to go further in this. And then you had mm-hmm. like advanced badges and different things that you'd earn. And I, I, I want programs like that to be available to all kids because kids don't know what they're interested in until they get Absolutely. to it. Yeah. But, you know, and but again, we're going back to the unfortunate limited access that certain yes. demographics of kids have. Absolutely. Like the things that I have pursued, this is sort of wide variety of things I want to recognize is that I did those things as an adult. And I did those things because it was only when I had the adult that I like had the privilege to do those things. Like as a child growing up in an immigrant family in small town, Mississippi, those avenues, those opportunities weren't as available to me. I had to, you know, find other mentors and other supporters that would be like, Hey, yes, you can try this. You know, my friends who took me camping, it's like, yes, you can go camping. Why not? You know, just because you haven't, we, we will show you. And I, I'm privileged and, and lucky to have had those things around me to support me in those ways. Um, and that's, you know, what, what brings me um, in, in uh, very much so to, to Riverwatch. Like the, the, the students that we work with at Riverwatch, I see so much of myself in mm. them. I was also, you know, kind of a, a, a misfit kid who like liked things um, a lot of different things. And I, I wanted to go outside and I wanted to experience things. And some of those things were sort of scary, but there was just like, I was just so curious about them, you know? And all, I think what I, I needed was someone to just take me, yeah. you know, and to experience that with me and to help guide me. 
um, and to create a safe space for me to learn about those things, make some mistakes also, uh, but also, you know, ultimately learn things and, and have a good time. Yeah. And so that's, that's what we do at Riverwatch. Um, a lot of how we run our programs um, is about centering equity and making the environment and nature accessible uh, to, to youth. Um, so what are some of the ways in which we do that? So number one, we provide full transportation for our students. So we pick, for the after-school program, we pick kids up after school. Um, obviously, we're, we're transporting them like while they're in our program, um, but that kid also gets a ride home. <laughs> at the end of the day. At the end of the day, yeah. yeah like every, every after-school kid gets a ride home um, at, at night when we're done with our program. So transportation, and that's the number one barrier probably uh, for, you know, uh, kids to, to be involved in high-quality programs um, like ours. Um, after school, whether it be about the environment or otherwise, like, like you literally can't get there. You know, yeah. your parents are busy. Um, you might be busy. You know, you might have like a job because you're helping to support your family. Um, all of these things, right? So transportation, like we've removed that barrier because we're we're providing it. We also make sure all the kids get fed, like they get dinner in the after school program. Like they they all they all get dinner. Uh, also, um, if their their family is hungry, they get food. To go home with them. We also deliver meals uh, to to um, kids and families uh, that are part of our program, part of our community. Um, the the third thing we do, uh, and and this is really important, is that we we compensate our students for their time. They all get paid, and so I mean it is like a paid internship while you're in high school to come to our program and learn about these things and experience and have community uh, with other. Um, with other teenagers, uh, and you get paid for it. Wow. Now, wow. And, and I don't think I need to ask this question, but it works. It's successful. Yeah. And okay. if we didn't so do those things. How are we not carbon <laughs> copying this all over the place? Because this sounds like a wonderful opportunity. Who, what teen wouldn't want to go right. get an opportunity to have an adventure and get paid for it? Right, right. I mean, you, granted, you don't you're have not... to drive there. You don't have to figure out Austin traffic wow. to get there. That's um, incredible. I had no you idea. You get fed. You go outside. You learn some things. You have a good time while you're learning those things. Um, and and at the end of one month, you get a check. Wow. Do you have any kids who've been through extensive amounts of the program and now work with y'all? Yes. Oh, thank you for asking that. Yeah, yes, that's amazing. Yeah. So currently on our staff, we have um, three former interns working with us, and my co-executive director, Fidel Campuzano Gonzalez, is a former student. River watcher. Yes. Amazing. Yes. That's the you beauty. know from from back in the day, uh, but yeah, and we have always. Um, on either our staff or our board of directors or both had at least one former student um, serving, you know, either as a staff member or a board member or like we have had, you know, uh, former students on, on both groups. Awesome. <clears throat> yeah, that kind of a, I don't know what to call that, alumni aspect yeah, of, because totally. we have the same thing, you know, we right now at summer camp, it's going on till 3.30, it's one o'clock now, but we have a couple of our CITs, we call them counselors in training, and one of them is our young sir, Jaken. I mean, he's 15 years old and he started when he was seven. 
I mean, he's been with us for eight years, and I can't tell the difference between him and some of our counselors as far as, like, the professionalism, the ability to just hold space again for the kids, like, understand kind of, like, I was injured, I fell, like, how to just, hey, you know, what are your needs right now after falling? Like, he's just, he's meeting these kids with such an interesting set of skills that you don't see teenagers have. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, so that's beautiful to hear you have the exact same kind of rotation going on because the the kids that have gone through the program themselves like they have a perspective i think that like somebody who's never gone through the program you know would be able to provide and just imagine the child who's there that the learner who's there for the first time and the guide is hey you want to know something interesting i stood exactly where you stood Mm -hmm. i was Mm -hmm. there and so I know what you're feeling. I know. And there's that empathy connection instantly. Absolutely. And that in and of itself begins to kind of create some of those healthy um, role model aspects. All right. Now I've got to live, you know, in a certain way as far as like holding myself and the things I choose to say and not say around these kids. And it's just so important for us to maintain that because now we've inspired them, you mm-hmm. know, and not necessarily like I'm trying to like put anyone in particular up on a pedestal I don't think the one individual should be I think it may be perhaps their values because those can't be lost the individual mm-hmm. they can kind of fall from grace but in that sense we're creating a lot of role models for kids especially young boys um, young girls too but in what I'm perceiving is like sometimes the the young boys like I just feel like they're not able to get what they need so I I say sometimes to them I'm like look do you feel angry and they're like, yeah. I'm like, do you just want to punch something? They're like, yeah. I'm like, well, take this stick and go hit that other dead tree branch or whatever it is. So I always tell them there's, there's no bad behaviors. There's just like unhealthy expressions of what you're feeling. You know, you're feeling angry and you yeah. punch that kid. But the expression might have been to like throw a stick or smash a rock or do something. You know what I'm saying? So we're trying to model that too. And it's it, it sounds like y'all are kind of doing the same thing. I don't know what I'm saying right now. Sorry. Oh, no, it's fine. <laughs> I think- I'm just talking about healthy role models because we really need them now more than ever, people. Agreed. Agreed. I, so. I think, um, yeah, we can, I think, easily go off on a tangent of like, Oh, why why isn't there more like Mr. Rogers is out there, you know, uh, and more kids like yeah, sort of learning about healthy expressions of their emotions. Yeah, yeah. but uh, you know, and not just that, but like we talked about earlier about being passionate and and being okay with the nerd aspect of something, right? The negative yeah. connotations that that word has, but I really embrace it. I tell the kids all the time, I'm a super nature nerd. Like mm-hmm. that's what, I think that's what my Facebook profile says. It says nature nerd extraordinaire or something like that. Something stupid, sorry. But I, I embrace it and I tell them, I said, don't ever, you know, let people tell you what's cool and what's not cool. Mm-hmm. If you think it's cool, it has value, you rock it. I think it's also, that's important really definitely to show like people I think who are, are teenagers and they're sort of like you know trying to find themselves yeah they're like it's I think um as adults when you're working with teenagers if you um show that you are comfortable uh for lack of a better way it's coming to my mind right now flying your freak flag yeah you know uh and that your your freak flag is about you know uh, being good and kind, <laughs> right? <laughs> About nature. Well, well we we that's ask a good thing. We ask the kids all the time, like, who are some of your role models? Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, like, 
but I don't even know that I have one. Mm -hmm. And so parents listening to this, ask your kids that. And then, you know, that can kind of help you evaluate where, you know, they are. And and I don't know. My mom asked me that one time and I I remember I had one answer. I was like, I guess this one science teacher, Mr. Coslett, you know, because he was just so fun. Mm-hmm. Like he, whatever we were learning, he was going to make it exciting. Mm-hmm. And I loved that because school was so boring. You sitting there at a desk and reading all day or whatever they're drawing up on the board. He would pull things out and be like, all right, we're doing snake talk. And he'd bring like five snakes to the classroom. And we just thought like, what the heck? This is the coolest thing ever. And we would talk about right. digestive systems and biology and all this. So, um, Anyway, I, I really am just applauding you all for the work that you're doing. And um, yeah, you were, you were actually sharing a couple stories of success. So do you have any you can share further, maybe notable projects that y'all have helped contribute to here around Austin or anything of that? I feel like um, Austin Youth for Watch has had a lot of success. Um, I, a slight tangent, though, like it, it is been around for a long time. And I want to make clear, um, whereas I am not um, a super young person, I am also not the one who founded it. Um, that is not me. It's been around since the 90s. Uh, and, and the founders were Jack Goodman, uh, a, a longtime uh, uh, person in, in Austin who recently passed away. And uh, Wes Halverson, uh, who is a high school teacher um, at Austin High. So back in the early 90s, they're the ones who, who founded it. And then um, Danny Apodaco uh, was the very first program director for the Austin Youth River Watch program, which at that point in time was a program of the Colorado River Watch Foundation. Um, and then it was that program that ended up being much more well-known uh, uh, than the foundation. And then, like, the, the entire organization became that program. Ah. So Danny Apodaco <laughs> is the one, the first program director who should be credited for uh, the model that we use to this day. Like, in the 90s, he was like, oh, what do the kids need? They need transportation. They can't get out there, you know. Um, also, like, they need other supports if they're going to, like, learn, you know. They need. They can't be hungry. They're not going to learn if they're they're hungry, um, and you know. Uh, so many of the kids um, uh, that the Riverwatch had been working with, underserved youth from underserved communities. It's like, oh well, the time is a big deal. Like if they're working after school, then that money piece is important. You know, um, so there's got to be some way for the time spent here to be justified too. And so compensation yeah. that is it's a big deal. So that is not something I invented. I, I just want to be clear on that. Um, but that's something that we have continued to adopt and has been central to how we implement our program. Um, yeah. Sure. Thank you for sharing that clarity. What are some of the biggest struggles that the Austin Youth River Watches faces? Well, all nonprofits, you know, uh, struggle with funding. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's uh, like a... A thing I think that all nonprofit ED is like try to make sure that we we have enough to do all the things that we need to do. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's um, something that that we've been you know working on like on a daily basis. Um, one of the things that I'm really proud of with Austin Youth River Watch is how we've uh, grown and um, evolved in terms of. Um, being an equitable organization. 
so it's it's been inherent in our program for a really long time in how we implement our program, right? So the transportation, the stipends, uh, the food, um, but also in how we think about modeling and community, um, creating safe spaces for you to be yourself. You know, uh, we um, we honor all pronouns at Austin Youth for Watch, uh, and so in the program, but also as an organization, uh, we've really worked worked to um, have a, a very uh, more distributed sense of leadership, uh, which is one of the reasons why I have a co-executive director, you know, and so um, it's a little less hierarchical than just having like one boss person and then like, I don't know, some, some middle management and then, you know, some people under that's like this sort of triangle pyramid type of thing. We're a little bit more flat in that way. And we do have like, you know, there's co-EDs and, and managers, and then there's coordinators. However, our decision-making is so much um, more on a more distributed, more consensus uh, kind of sort democratic. of model. Yeah. 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 With kind of like people being able to share their voices and, oh, I think that's a great idea or a great avenue, but maybe that one not less so. And right. that's good. That's how we do things here. Yeah. I mean, we, I, dare I say, I mean, I, I don't know if this is like okay to say, but I let new hires meet all of our staff. Yeah. And they well, interact. They? And yeah. yeah. And then they kind of give me their feedback because they're going to be working with them more. Right. I'm not. And so I, I sometimes I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. Like, I don't just, you know, might not be a good fit. And usually that's the staff. They're like, oh, no, no. We've seen that before in this. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I want that exact thing to be, that's so important. That's so important for you to listen to the people who help you achieve your goals. Right. Right. If we're not and we're just like, this is, we're cutting the path. This is where we're going. I don't know. I just find a lot of people abandon ship because they're like, I don't necessarily f find that value in that. Right. And so it's so good to find a team. And it sounds like you've got a great one, not only in the oh, co-ED, but I the program directors and coordinators. And so much. And, you know, I, I, a lot of some a lot of the decision-making that I do, I defer to my, my team um, uh, because they're, they're closer to it. You know, it's like um, one of the things I've learned about um, uh, in my um, sort of evolution as an ED, I guess, or, uh, is um, different ways of making decisions. There's uh, a method called the advice process, um, which is like who is closer to... Um, what's happening, the impact, right? Um, and then uh, also, like, our students. I mean, how do we better and more incorporate our students' voices in how we do programming? I think we are constantly trying to learn and evolve that uh, to be better. Um, so, yeah, like, who's going to be impacted by this? Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like then they're their voice in this, their decision-making is probably what should be priority over someone who happens to have access to the lever, you know? Right. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> we even asked the kids that at Natureversity. We're like, well, what do you want to do? 99% of the times they always just say, we want to have fun. Uh -huh. And so sure. that for us kind of gives us the understanding, well, okay, if that's what you mean, if that's what you truly want is to have fun, like then we're going to do this. And so we come up with ways of like, all right, they might be bored with just shooting arrows at a target. What if they shot arrows at each other and the arrows are <laughs> foam and they had those paintball face mask things and we played King of the Hill? 
and they just go ham because I want their dexterity and their hand-eye coordination to be in tune. And I'm like, what better way than to have to defend yourself while up on a hill with a bow and arrow? <laughs> so when they say we want fun, I'm just like, well, let's do this in a craziest fashion we can. Have y'all ever um, partnered or had an experience with the Texas River School? Yes. Uh, so we've we've worked with them uh, on some kayak trips. Uh, and so like also um, uh, kids learning how to paddle and then, um, you know, also like some of their program is, is very similar to ours. Uh, what are the things out there uh, in the river that, that you're seeing and you're experiencing? Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah, know why so you and Joe Kendall just like I was like, man, if they have not merged <laughs> yet, they need to merge quick. Yeah, we've definitely worked with a Texas River School. We've Probably. So the other, uh, we're, we're so broad at Riverwatch. I mean, I, I don't want to say that we're, we're not mission focused. We're definitely mission focused, but I think our interpretation of what that mission is, is, is relatively broad. The engagement with other organizations, other environmental um, entities um, can only benefit us because the other thing that we um, um are doing is showing the river watchers and the students like ways that they can be engaged with the environment. Like if they're only talking to us, then there's a whole world of things that they're not seeing. Like we work with tree folks very regularly. Oh yeah. And trivially, I love um, them. They're, they're down the street from us. They are our neighbor. Their office is like <laughs> two awesome. houses down from <laughs> where our office is. Like they're literally our, our neighbor. And sometimes We'll be like, oh, the tree house and the river house. And like, I, I have literally borrowed a cup of sugar from them. <laughs> That's so cool. That's <laughs> what this is a about. Beater, like Applied a anthropology, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so we work really regularly with them because that means that river watchers get to see, get to meet arborists, you know, and, and understand the components uh, of like how trees and uh, riparian habitats, like, what what trees are good for riparian areas and like what are those relationships we work with um all of the conservation groups in town uh the shoal creek conservancy the, the the trail foundation um what used to be called the waller creek conservancy and is now waterloo greenway we work with all of them because again you know uh those not only are those waterways are places we visit but there is knowledge there that um our, our kids can learn from we work with a whole lot of people at City of Austin Watershed Protection um, and at uh, the Lower Colorado River Authority. So they get to meet like watershed scientists. They get to meet uh, engineers and whatnot um, doing different things. And so this kind of engagement that we have with uh, the city, with other organizations, um, and especially with environmental professionals in town, um, yeah, it, it only benefits uh, what, what we're doing. Um, the majority of our kids are black or indigenous, indigenous or, or people of color kids, so they're BIPOC identifying. Uh, and one thing we definitely um, uh, do very intentionally is uh, seek out BIPOC environmental professionals, too. Uh, one of the programs we do at least once a year, sometimes twice a year, is that we have a panel of BIPOC environmental professionals talk about their career paths and then really there's just an open Q&A session with the River Watchers, uh, some of which are our high school students and some of which are our young adult interns, just talk to these other professionals. And it's like, well, how did you get to where you're doing to like study whales um, or, you know, um, 
measure water quality as a professional. Like, how did you get there? Like, what did you experience? Um, maybe you're an urban farmer. All of these things, uh, we uh, connect with professionals all around the country, really. Um, some of which are sort of local here to Central Texas or to Texas broadly, and some of which are are perhaps in Hawaii <laughs> or in, in New York or something like that. Um, and that really, I think, just, you know, I think turns on some light bulbs in some different ways. That means um, that river watchers can be like, oh, well, maybe I can grow up and, and be an aquatic scientist or I can, like, be um, a person who studies whales on, on a boat, you know, in Hawaii or any of these things. And so I think that that um, opens up some more possibilities. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we should talk about struggles, um, kind of reading through some of the other ideas and chat um, questions that I have here. Um, so some of the key environmental issues that your organization addresses, other than perhaps the water quality and reports like that? Do y'all do anything else as far as issues like that go? Yeah, so um, water quality is, is what we're most known for. But I think what we do a whole lot more of today, and I think, I mean, the water quality part has, has a whole lot to do with our history. And we still do that, but much more of our program actually is about environmental restoration now. So creek cleanups, but we also do a lot of native plantings. Um, oh, yeah, so important. Yeah, so keeping that we, water down in there. Yeah, we cultivate native plants uh, where we are in our office down the street from from tree folks. Some of which are, are, are trees that um, that they've given us, and we've worked with the Wildflower Center a lot to uh, to um, you know have have some native plants. Uh, so we have a greenhouse full of stuff, uh, and we also just uh, uh, in our front yard have a whole lot of uh, eastern gamma grass that we've been th- mm. we've been growing for for years. Um, and some switchgrass as well. And we cultivate that and we take that out to um, our restoration projects. Uh, And so we've planted stuff like all over town. Um, So Circle Acres is a place we visit a lot. I I know that you've gotten Eric here from Ecology Action uh, on the show. And so we've worked with Eric so much. He's definitely... Um, uh, one of our favorite partners out there. He had um, nothing but good things to say about y'all. Oh my God. He was we, like, they're going to be on the podcast the today. Way. I was like, yeah. He's like, oh dude. He's like, tell Melinda I said hi. <laughs> <laughs> I was just on this morning. Well, Eric. <laughs> tell, tell Eric I said hi. Right. Yeah. He's yeah, awesome. Everything they're doing out there is so exciting um, at EA. And yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all that y'all have had an, a chance and an opportunity. Oops, excuse me. To... Work together. So what are some things that um, we're going to be wrapping up here in just a moment, but what are some things that you would like to maybe share about rivers, I guess, as far as like river facts or river information, maybe river myths, things like that? Here, l- let me give you a few oh, few ones. Does the Colorado River <laughs> here in Texas start over in Colorado? Oh, right. Yes. That's a common one, right? Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> Big answer. <laughs> the Colorado River in Texas is a completely different river from the Colorado River that is more well-known in Colorado. And there are various stories about uh, the origin of the name, but like it, I think the most common myth is that uh, when folks discovered it here, they thought it was that one. But I 
don't think that that is true at all. And the other things that I read about that is like, no, I don't think anyone made that mistake. It is about the color of the river, uh, which is also what, what the name is about. So it is. So I think if we were talking to people outside of Texas and maybe even sometimes to people in Texas, especially considering that there's more people moving to Texas, we should probably more accurately say the Texas Colorado River. Ah, I like that clarification. Yeah. Well, that makes sense because if you really think about a lot of names of rivers, mm-hmm. like for instance, just south of us, we have what is known as the Yakona River. Mm-hmm. And that I believe translates to deep blue, which mm. when you look at that San Marcos River, it is a deep blue beautiful blue mm. and that makes a sense and so the frio river it's very mm-hmm. cold right. um there's all these at- attributes that the river possesses that they would get their name so when you say the colorado river it makes sense that that's the color right, right. so right. yeah i like that um other things uh does our colorado river eventually get to the gulf Yes, it does. How uh, does that happen? That's a great question because of flow. Ah, so uh, it's not the- flat. No, I'm just <laughs> messing with you. It's no, totally fine. <laughs> Um, one of the things that we just did in terms of our adventures, like, and it was the first time we'd ever done it, um, was that we took a multi-day, uh, field trip to where the Colorado river goes from here all the way to Matagorda Bay and then, you know, flows out into the Gulf coast. Isn't it beautiful down there? It is beautiful. beautiful. What a great, what a great, what a great trip and what a great day that was that we, we saw the Matagorda Bay and sort of driving down from here in central Texas and kind of following the river all the way down. And then all of a sudden you see this completely different landscape. It's like, oh, it's still the Colorado River, just like where we were back in Austin, you know, and, and what what the river watchers are doing here in terms of measuring water quality, in terms of um, uh, restoring our watersheds, improving our watersheds with planting native plants, um, cleaning things up like that impacts things all the way down to the ocean. So that's one of the things that we got to do recently. Like, when was that? I think uh, just a week or so ago that we just got back, and it's the first time we'd we'd ever done that. We took twelve river watchers down there with us. Um, we stayed down there for for four days, um, and they got to see uh, the the Texas Gulf Coast. Dude, that's awesome! Yeah, what a beautiful experience! Congratulations yeah. on y'all's first successful trip down there. Yeah. Definitely something y'all want to do again. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Yeah. This is Car- our first time, and so like you know, it was super fun. But it was also just kind of figuring things out on on how to do a trip to the Gulf Coast for the first time. But like kids saw critters that they haven't seen before, different animals. And for so many of our students, it was like the first time they'd ever seen a beach and been on a beach or experienced a beach, you know? Uh, And so that's a big deal. And it's like, I mean, you look at the Gulf Gulf, uh, Coast, I mean, that's pretty much, that's like just a part of the Atlantic Ocean. It's like, so you are seeing an ocean like what we do here in central Texas is impacting the world. Right. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's like looking into infinity. When mm-hmm. you look at that ocean, you're like, wow, it just goes on forever. The but way the waves are coming yeah, in. Yeah. It's so know, beautiful. Like the the feeling actual, of sand on your feet yeah. and all of that. I couldn't imagine the very first time these kids are experiencing all this and just what it must have felt like. I wish I could, cause I was, I was kind of partly raised in Corpus Christi. So I was at the beach all the time with my grandparents. Yeah. So I don't remember what it was like, but I wish I could. And just, I like those moments. I'll never forget the first time I saw a redwood tree. Yeah. Cause oh I was older. Oh my God. Yeah. And that I was, was like, recent wow, for me too. Just, I think, uh, 2021. So yeah, just a yeah. couple of years ago. It's like, 
And, and of course, being a Texas Gulf Coast kid, you just assume, well, if I can swim in the Gulf, I can swim anywhere, right? So when I was up in Oregon, I was like, well, these seals are doing just fine. I'm going to go out into this ocean. I got about halfway, and I was like, nope. that is. I didn't know water got that cold, man. <laughs> it's like, what? And they, I just thought everything was lush on the Pacific Coast, and you could just swim in there like beaches in California. My friend Rebecca was like, don't go get in that water. That water is like 40 degrees. I was like, no, it's not. And I found out real fast. But that's that was an experience I'll never forget because I was older. I would never seen the Pacific Coast and that famous photographed lighthouse and the breathtaking experiences of seeing seals jump through the waves and just oh it's so beautiful so y'all if you're sitting there right now listening to this and you're in the city take and try to make a plan uh, to get to the ocean if you can you know carpool do what you got to do because it's so infinite and vast and beautiful down there if you all go again give me a call because i love animal tracking and I go down there and I track animals along the coast, all along Matagorda Bay and different areas down there. So I show your river watchers how to track animals along the coast and different oh, things. Oh, that, that'd be awesome. I mean, we're definitely going to be doing this every summer. This is our first time, but it's it's not – it's far from the last time. Very cool. Yeah. Well, we're excited. So uh, any uh, – we always ask this of all the guests. Any, like, hilarious stories or crazy things that have ever had happen in any of your programs that you thought, like – I mean, so many, like just being around the river watchers and being around my awesome team. There's a lot of great moments, but because like, I, I, I mean, not intentionally, but I feel a little bit on the spot right now. Like, oh, they're sorry. Not just like they're, they're, they're just not coming to me, but no like, worries. You know, when you said uh, your, your kids say they want to have fun, it's like there is a lot of fun in what we do. And that is kind of the glue and the magic of it. Right. It's like when you're having fun um, you're, you're sort of like, uh, forgetting that you're also learning at the same time. And it's, it's true experiences that, that keep you coming back and, uh, that, um, keep you engaged. Have you, have you ever, do, do y'all have any like specific styles of teaching that y'all practice? You know, there's people who do like Montessori, Waldorf, like, you know, Reggio. Do y'all have any system? I'm going to defer to my, my program team to like sure. talk about that, but unfortunately they're, they're not here. I, I, um, I think what I can tell you is that it is a very open style. There is kind of a, a rough outline for each event or activity or, or each program day. Um, uh, but there's so much, you know, youth voice that we try to incorporate in, in what we do, uh, while finding a balance for, you know, what our learning objectives are at the same time. And it's a little different for how each coordinator kind of runs, um, uh, their, their crew too. Yeah. So hey, do you know, um, Joseph Cornell, you ever heard that name? I don't think I have. No, he no. is a, oh gosh, um, try to think of I believe it's from the Cornell University I I'm, I'm, don't think that last name has anything to do with the university but that's his name but anyway he created this thing that he calls flow learning and mm. I really like it and it's kind of what we do at Natureversity I'm just do you mind if I share this with you Not at all. so he yeah, inspires doodles and graphs. <laughs> I'm doodling y'all he inspires the kids over here in the east uh-huh. right he focuses the kids on here in the south he allows them to reflect in the west and then he integrates in the north and so this is where the kids are with us right so it's our job to inspire and then we set them out on this focus it could be knife carving shelter building whatever and then towards the end of this is where we call the southwest energy it's like lunch and all that but then mm. towards over here in the west we have this relaxation moment and this reflection moment that's where they bring out their journals and then they mm-hmm. share and once they get here that old added question Hey, what'd you do at school today? I don't know. Well, I don't, you know, 
that's where those journals get pulled out and the kids are eager to share through this integration. And usually in this moment, the parents like, well, what if, and then this re-inspiration takes place at home. Yeah. So that's what we're using. And yeah, I'm this much, is where you're sharing the stories, right? Yes. Like when you're making the memories and having fun. And that's like, this is, this is what sticks with you. That's right. Yeah. And so I'm just always curious about outdoor environmental educational organizations and what type of maybe model they might be learning. Another way to say this is that book right there. It's called the coyotes guide. Mm. Um, he had, he calls it the eight shields of mentoring. And I just think it's such a beautiful way to bring kids from the outside. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Kids to the outside using this style. And uh, yeah, that's the reason my question. So, mm. but um, Melinda, this has been wonderful. Uh, where can we find you and how can potential listeners who are around Austin get involved and either uh, with their time and volunteering opportunities with y'all or donations, things like that? Where can we find y'all? Mm-hmm. I, I think um, my, my favorite place to send people uh, is our Instagram feed. Yeah. <laughs> we have a website for sure. And there's our, our website is very informative. Uh, and the URL is river watchers with an S at the end there. Dot O R G. Our Instagram feed though uh, is something that we post on regularly. You're going to see great pictures of kids learning and having a really good time out there. And so I, I think it's very positive. If, if I'm having a bad day with anything, if I go over to our Instagram, it's like, Oh, I feel better, mm, you know, rejuvenation. This is, this is why I do the work that I do. Um, if, if you, um, you talked about this shirt that I'm wearing, it's one of my favorite shirts. So all of our Riverwatch students get a shirt like this. It is a uh, Creek map of Austin. Can I have one of those? Can I buy one? You can. How do I, how do I get one of those shirts? Totally, That's awesome. Totally. Y'all, um, this shirt is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, for a donation of, uh, $25, uh, we can, I'll Get make that a happen. Shirt like this, yeah. Sweet. Yeah. What was the handle for your Instagram? I'm sorry. Oh, it's just at River Watchers. River Watchers. Got yeah, it. we were so lucky to be able to use that handle. That's a great one. River Watchers handle is for Instagram, and then RiverWatchers.org. RiverWatchers.org. Perfect. Uh, we also have a Facebook, um, and that's also at River Watchers. So yeah. Yeah, and so just FYI, if you're listening to this and you are thinking about making a donation, is there the best time of the year, perhaps during Amplify Austin, to have those donations matched? Amplify or? Austin is, is definitely a, a good time, but I mean, um, you know, one one of the things that we are trying to uh, do more, if, if it's something that you have the ability to do, is to be a sustaining donor, um, even just $5 a month. Um, uh, I, I would definitely, you know, be able to provide... Uh, a, a t-shirt as a thank you gift for something like that. That's, that's great. Uh, so yeah, um, on our website, like any time of the year uh, works for the donor to donate is a good time. Sure. You know, honestly. Sure. So yeah. I always wait to big, to do the big ones. Like uh-huh. we did like, I, th- I don't know how much for ecology action one year, but I waited until the, everyone was going to match it. Right. And then I just dumped yeah. like two grand. It's <laughs> yeah. like everyone had to match them. I was like, yeah. So I think that there, if if you're going to be doing something big picture, you know, potentially look for those opportunities. But in those in the small uh, realm, five dollars a month definitely is going to help Austin River Watch get out there and impact these youths for the most positive and meaningful way. Because we all need it now more than ever. And Melinda, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it, y'all. We'll see you in the next episode. Y'all take care. Bye bye.